fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Once a year, about 75,000 people gather in the Black Rock Desert of Northwest Nevada for Burning Man, except this year. It takes place in a temporary city which is created, inhabited, and destroyed in just a few weeks. Burning Man is a vibrant, participatory metropolis generated by its citizens dedicated to art, community, and radical self-reliance. For over a decade, our guest today has been studying the event and its location. Because Burning Man requires participants to leave no trace, she says this is an archaeologist's worst nightmare. And yet she finds Black Rock City is also the perfect site to do active site research. But how does one do archaeology in a city that is at once growing and disappearing? Thank you so much, Carolyn White, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, Carolyn's new book is The Archaeology of Burning Man, The Rise and Fall of Black Rock City. Carolyn is a professor in the anthropology department at the University of Nevada, Reno, where she holds the Mamie Kleberg Chair in Historic Preservation and is the director of the Anthropology Research Museum. Well, check it all out on our website, carolynwhite.info, and that's first name is spelled C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. People think archaeology is all about digging and uncovering the past, but that is only part of what archaeologists do on a regular basis. What else do they do, Carolyn? Well, a big part of archaeology is digging, but a huge part of it is not. Um, Archaeologists are interested in the past wherever it happens to be, so sometimes that past is buried underground, but often it's right near the surface, so archaeologists can do survey where they find the remains of the past on the surface of the ground. We also look at the built environment, so looking at old buildings and landscapes and the things that you see when you walk down the street or in a rural area. Um, But what I've been doing is active site archaeology, and that's doing the same thing in looking at life in the past Uh, but looking at it in the present, the very recent past, as in the past that happened one minute ago. (laughs) Well, what does looking at active sites, those are sites that are currently inhabited, from an archaeological perspective, tell us about the present and the past, and how does it all relate to our ideas of the future? Well, as an archaeologist, for me, the thing that has drawn me to archaeology is looking at at daily life and the ways that people lived and what they did every day and whatever the material form of those past worlds were. And so when I moved to Nevada uh, back in 2005, I, I was had in my mind that I was interested in maybe using some of those ideas and methods to, that I've employed to study the, the past that we think of as the subject of archaeology to look at something a little bit more recent. And so when I visited uh, the Black Rock Desert for the first time, I was working on a site that was on Depression-era mining. So looking at a site from the 1930s, 1940s, which to many people is pretty recent archaeology already. But then when I knew that that big city, Black Rock City, was going to be built right near where I was working... I thought that would be a great place to maybe investigate and launch a project that was active site archaeology. So using those same exact methods and ideas and theories that I used in the past 
and applying them to the present. And the archaeology of Burning Man is the result. Well, that first time you went to Burning Man, you were actually a guest of the Bureau of Land Management. Did you ever imagine then that you would actually attend year after year, starting in 2006? No. <laughs> no, not at all. It's it's funny because I uh, first heard about Burning Man from my brother-in-law, who was an attendee. And when he was telling me about this, this thing, I was really barely interested in it. Um, but then when I was working out West and started to see all that dust rising and realized that I was so close, I, w- I was quite curious to see what it was like. And I visited with uh, Dave Valentine, shout out to Dave, um, a representative of, of the Bureau of Land Management. And when he showed me around, I thought, well, this could work. But I wasn't really sure I would be going year after year after year. <laughs> As an archaeologist, why do you think Burning Man is the perfect site for research? Well, Burning Man is an unusual place, and it's actually a very familiar place in some ways. Um, One of the great things about Burning Man for me as an archaeologist is the cyclicality. So unlike most places that are actively inhabited, we can see Burning Man from its birth to its death in two months each year. And so you get a chance to see that that cycle of life of a city and you get to see it multiple times over a decade. So that has allowed me to really use it as a laboratory for understanding the techniques and approaches to looking at an active site and to do that year after year. Besides an event, Carolyn, what what is Burning Man? Tell us about the tremendous organization that's there within the chaos, and how does the organization allow the chaos to, to happen, and why does this all illuminate a truth about the way we live and interact? Well, Black Rock City is a city of nearly 80,000 people that's built every year, um, and it has a particular form. It's It's structured like a clock with radial and concentric streets. It also has zoning, so there's domestic space, there are municipal areas, there are places for large art installations. And the thing that struck me about it when I first went and that always leaves a a deep impression is the way that it is at once incredibly chaotic with art cars roaming the streets and flamethrowers, burnable (laughs) art installations everywhere. Um, And this vibe of incredible chaos and radical self-expression. But underneath that is this very strong layer of control and of organization. And it's that tension between that organization and that chaos that really piqued my interest. There are many rules at Burning Man, and life in Black Rock City really reflects those rules and the way that the rules interact with the environment. What is an archaeology of the future, and why is Burning Man such an interesting topic if you want to think about time, Carolyn? Well, if we're thinking about looking at a place that exists now, now is the past of the future, of course. And it also allows us to kind of project into the future. I mean, one of the things that we're really interested in as archaeologists 
is the role that understanding the past has on our life today. So we look to the past to understand problems that different societies and communities had, how they encountered them, how they risked lives and uh, futures in not dealing with certain problems. So when you have a place that is in existence now, we can use those same ideas to understand how people relate to their environment, the decisions they make, how temporary use of space can be used to problem solve issues that we have now. And it helps us to think about how we might want to alter our path moving forward. What do you love about studying a place where so much is happening all at the same time? And how has studying Black Rock City changed the way you actually approach other archaeological sites where you do dig? Well, Burning Man has been a huge challenge uh, conceptually for me to tackle as an archaeologist. Archaeologists are pretty organized scholars. We like things um, planned out far in advance. We are all about control, as you can imagine from our use of a, of a grid is how we usually study a place, is laying a, a big grid over a site and excavating it square by square. And I really thought that I would do something pretty similar at Burning Man. I would kind of pick the parts of it that I wanted to look at and wake up in the morning and do the things that I imagine I would do from, you know, seven in the morning to noon, and then in the afternoon, move on to the next task. But Burning Man does not allow you to be that much of a planner. You have to plan (laughs) to get out there. But once you're there, you do have to surrender a little bit to the whims of the city. So I found myself kind of throwing the manual for field work out the window and going with the flow a little bit more and seeing what opportunities arose. And it gave me a little bit more spontaneity and um, uh, whimsy in some ways in, in deciding the directions that the work would go. Why do other burners on the playa call you Dr. Jones? <laughs> well, one of the amazing things about Burning Man is that it is a place that is full of humor that lives right alongside uh, safety and concern for getting things done. And one of the organizations within the broader Burning Man organization is the Department of Public Works. And these folks are incredibly hard workers who also have a, a kind of particular take on the world, which is um, quite skeptical and irreverent. And So part of uh, when they go out on the playa, when they're building the city and when they're taking down the city is thinking about safety. And as they say, safety third is their joke. So there is a roll call that happens when the day begins. And when I was out there with them one year, they said, "Okay, we're going to do roll call. You just sit there, you wait, you and you'll hear um, your name. You'll know when it's you. And so my name th- that was given to me by them was Dr. Jones for Indiana Jones, of course. Well, you have visited Burning Man at Setup. That's a month before the event starts, during the actual event, after Exodus, when participants leave, and during site cleanup. Why is each stage so interesting, Carolyn? Each stage has really its own personality. It has its own vibe. It has its own set of 
components to look at. And it also, for me as, as a scholar, allows me to think about how other places are built, inhabited, and dismantled. And all archaeological sites do this. Um, and in fact, the world that we live in today is doing this. We're in the live-in phase of our daily life, but eventually all of the buildings and things that we inhabit today will be gone. Um, so at Burning Man, in order to understand what it takes to live in the city, you really have to see it before, during, and afterwards to understand how the infrastructure relates to daily life. If you just, when you show up, as most people do, when when the city is at its peak, it truly seems like it has always been there. And when you leave at the end of the week, it seems like it has always been there. So when you arrive the following year, you don't necessarily, it's, it can be actually hard to believe that it, it was gone. When you are there during cleanup, which is happens basically that starts the day after the city, um, the event is over, already the city is a shell of itself. I mean, it, it's, it's the playa, the, the crowded city streets give way to a much wider open space. The mode of getting around shifts from riding a bike or walking to riding around in a pickup truck. And it's quite interesting to see the rapidity that that takes place in. Um, I think that we imagine the world being so much more stable than it actually is. And Burning Man reveals the, the very fast way that things change when humans are involved. One of the joys of your fieldwork has been the people that you've met and, and how they've been very eager to help you out with your research. Tell us about Sun Tracker Camp and its wind-powered margarita bar. <laughs> well, Sun Tracker was a godsend for me because when I first got to Burning Man that first year and set up my very pathetic camp anthro, <laughs> Um, I was just not prepared for what the city might throw at you. I, I knew that people wore goggles and masks, but I didn't quite understand how important it was to have a good way of keeping out the dust if a dust storm arose. And within about 12 hours of my arrival at Black Rock City that first year, I was caught in this massive dust storm and started walking around. I didn't even know to bring a bike. Um, walking around and trying to figure out what to do. Again, my plans were completely thrown out the window. So luckily I stumbled into Sun Tracker Camp and the wonderful Bruce was full of, uh, of enthusiasm about Burning Man, but also about this idea of doing an archaeology of Burning Man. And Sun Tracker Camp was his camp and he was just so excited to show me around and explain how they made their home in Black Rock City. Bruce became a great friend and a wonderful informant for the project. He shared all of the ins and outs of how he moved everything to Black Rock City each year, how he packed up, how he went back, um, really explaining to me the details and minutia of his planning. Um, and But he also that first year had a map of his site. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he did the archaeologist's job. <laughs> and his map also ex uh, really exposed to me the way that um, the way that people imagine things isn't really the way that they work necessarily. Um, he didn't 
map where he stored his trash. He didn't map where um, he kind of the edges and things that I ended up being interested in. But he also was aware of the way that his space transformed during the day. So he has this porch that in the morning is a front porch where he has breakfast and lunch. But then that space transforms every day at three o'clock into a margarita bar <laughs> with tens, twenties of people assembling there with a wind powered uh, blender. So frozen drinks powered by wind. Tell us about Izzel, Camp 1111's founder, and his sister, Sizzle. What's so remarkable about his kitchen setup, and what might motivate a burner to put that much work into a space that will only last a few days, Carolyn? Oh, my gosh. Izzel and Sizzle are these wonderful people, um, brother and sister, who go to Burning Man every year together and set up Camp 1111. And when I, again, stumbled across this camp I was just amazed at how complete the setup is. Kitchen cabinets, kitchen counters, uh, a, an island in the middle of the kitchen, a swamp cooler, and also touchingly portraits of their parents hanging in the kitchen as well. Mm. The living room was similarly uh, well equipped. And I learned that Izzel basically took apart his house every year and reassembled it on the playa. <laughs> Um, and he also had all of these really interesting uh, engineer, self-engineered systems like water filtration and everything kind of reused. And, of course, a huge part of Burning Man is the building community. And Izzel and Sizzle had many people that camped with them. They kind of opened up their home in its reconstituted form. And it was also a place of great warmth and um openness to to people who were interested in hanging out with them. Burners have talked about Burning Man as preparing them for an emergency like we're in now with the coronavirus pandemic. Some have talked about eating their way through their emergency supplies or dipping into their caches of Burning Man supplies to tide themselves over in quarantine. So talk about that, Carolyn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's I, I, Burners are pretty prepared because it takes quite a lot to get yourself out to the Black Rock Desert and to survive out there by um, relying just on yourself for that week. And I think we all, all burners have those boxes of things that they set aside for for the playa. Um, and so, yeah, they've there's been a lot of discussion in various chat rooms and, and email lists about how they raided their canned goods to um, kind of make do or that they've gone through and found the masks that they were saving and donated them to health care facilities in their areas, as well as the fact that it, in trying to live in a pandemic um, and imagining kind of mobilizing temporary spaces to cope with that, I think burners are really well prepared. Um, I mean, I can imagine a situ situations where people build hexa yurts in their backyard to house people who, who need housing or to quarantine people. Uh, I don't think we've really seen so much of that yet, but it is certainly something that burners are able to do in thinking about doing things uh, to get through something that's challenging, but also recognizably temporary. 
Carolyn White is our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The book is The Archaeology of Burning Man, The Rise and Fall of Black Rock City. Check out our website, carolynwhite.info. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me.